Hello, I'm Michael O'Harris, and welcome to another edition of Midwest Entertainment Review. I've entitled my remarks today, The Goot Good Life in the Merry Old Land that I Love. In this episode, I'll be reviewing The Barnes at Napanee's first production, Land That I Love, and contrasting it with another new play in the Amish genre. Uh, I guess there's an Amish genre. Anyway, in the market catering to Amish tourism, the Blue Gate Theaters of Shipshawana's The Good Good Life. I'll also provide you with a few free and minimal charge online events that you can view in the safety of your own home. In addition, I'll give you some shopping tips to get the best deals on future productions when theater reopens again in the hopefully not too distant future. While a few houses are braving the COVID-19 protocols and putting on their shows despite the inherent problems that the current state of things presents, most have canceled. Some, however, are offering great entertainment options for little or no cost, and many online. South Bend Civic Theater just offered a remarkable variety show, Lights Up. And while it was, in fact, a fundraiser, it was nevertheless free. South Bend Civic is, by the way, one of the greatest values around, nearly always presenting top-notch work. They are also committed to diversity and inclusion and always striving to create greater impact and outreach by taking their programs out into the community and offering pay-what-you-can nights. But more on the freebies later. And before we get started on the reviews, I want to tell you about this great opportunity that exists this weekend. That is, if you catch this podcast on release day or close, to see an emerging artist's world premiere of his first original musical. One of the finest Midwest actors I know, 19-year-old Braden Allison's Androcles, a musical fable. Androcles, in this case, is spelled A-N-D-R-E-A-C-L-E-S. Misspelled from the original, of course, but according to Braden, the misspelling stuck. The production is Friday, July 31st. See you there. And... Saturday, August 1st, at the Southgate Church in South Bend, Indiana. COVID protocols, including the use of masks for patrons entering the theater and face shields for performers, will apply. The cost is just $5. Tickets can be purchased online or at the door, but since seating may be limited, online would probably be preferable. And even if you're not going, spend the 5 bucks and support this guy. He's a wonderful talent, and I'm sure will become a household name in the not-too-distant future. And now to the reviews. In the last two years or so, Broadway has been inundated with bioplays. Not really my favorite fare in theater. Locally, it seems that the two competing, though not really competing, theaters catering to the Amish tourism crowd have revised the old let's put on a show mentality. But not even that so much as let's dress up a storytelling session or even a lecture as a play. Now, plays about historical events can be fantastic, and I'm a big fan of history shared right. In fact, I have a new internet series that I hope to launch later this year about local history. But just telling a few stories or even fun facts in the guise of a play is not the kind of theater that moves people to tears, hysterical laughter, or even action. I prefer the latter. Before I get into the review proper, perhaps I can share a little historical background about these two theaters and their current work. Recently, the historic Round Barn Theater at Amish Acres, as well as the entire Amish Acres complex, was sold at auction. The principal purchaser of the theater and restaurant, the central components of the complex, was former U.S. Indiana 3rd District Congressman Marlon Stutzman and his team, who purchased the property in part to promote his wife Christie's interest in writing musicals and plays. 
Their initial foray into production opened last Friday night, July 17th, at the Round Barn Theater at the Barns of Napanee, formerly Amish Acres. The show runs through August 9th, 2020, and will be followed by Into the Woods, opening on August 20th. A show which, in my opinion, has been overdone in the last few years in this area, but nonetheless is their second offering of the season. More on it in a future podcast. While many and perhaps most people could go to their current production, Land That I Love, and walk away with a warm heart, my view of the production is more oriented to theatrical quality. And while there is a market for merely feel-good productions, from my perspective, Land That I Love falls short on many levels. Before I get too far into my observations, I will say in fairness to the cast, crew, and producers that Land That I Love is not a bad production. In fact, the eight people who I surveyed following the production seem to enjoy it quite a lot. So chalk it up to my sense of something beyond let's put on a show. And hey, and let's get this clear. I'm a huge fan of Judy and Mickey. But that's the sense that I got from the minute I walked into the theater and saw the piece together and not really well iron scrim slash projection screen curtain hanging from the front of the stage. But wait, let's talk about the good things first before I go into the deep dive. First of all, continuing to provide a theatrical experience for the Napanee community and to bring tourism to Elkhart County is a great thing for the community and no small undertaking. And the Stutzmans have assembled what appears to be a well-credited production team. They have greatly improved the badly in need of upgrading sound system that existed under the former ownership. They also upgraded the lighting system, which is also a big plus. They did not, however, bring back the live orchestra that existed when the theater first opened back years ago. And at the $49 ticket point, no matter where you sit in the house, and claiming to be a professional company, a live orchestra, in my opinion, is a must. Singing to a track just does not allow for the dynamics and the in-the-moment quality of delivery that a live orchestra facilitates. And let's be clear. Many other theaters in the area, including South Bend and Elkhart Civic, do, for the most part, perform with a live orchestra. Bluegate does not, and if viewed as their chief competition or even their industry standard, then they may have some justification for not having a live orchestra. But in my opinion, it brings us back closer to that let's put on a show mark. And as long as we're comparing Round Barn to Bluegate at this point, let's talk a little bit more about the quality and delivery of production. Bluegate has in recent years formed alliances with nationally known romance writers like Beverly Lewis and based most of their original works on these authors' books. The books have definite storylines and the musicals have original scores. Round Barn's production, Land That I Love, relies heavily on folk music and patriotic songs that are in public domain, with only five original songs in the score. The show runs just over an hour with no intermission, which actually is long enough. The foregoing was the beginning of my review until I saw Bluegate's new production, The Goot, good in English, Life. Bluegate has been catering to the Amish tourism market in Shipshawana, Indiana since 1984. Amish Acres opened on the site of an old Amish order farm in Napanee in 1970. The Bluegate started with a small theater and has since added a large convention-style stage and just this year opened its new state-of-the-art concert theater. Unfortunately, with the opening of the new theater, prices have risen. Shipshawana has grown around the Bluegate and offers many interesting shops featuring food and craft 
crafts as well as ample conference facilities, and a new arena features an annual rodeo. Shipshawana is also home of the Minnehoff Museum, which tells the religious history of the Anabaptist and Amish Mennonite movement. Because the town of Shipshawana has grown up around the Blue Gate, it offers much more complete opportunity for the Amish tourist. On the other hand, with the construction of the new theater, Blue Gate has risen its prices to the point that, to me, they have outpriced themselves. If you remember from episode one, I'm the guy that likes to get a low price point. While I'm sure the Blue Gate will do just fine, I believe that their new price structure will have a negative impact on people like me, those people who are more considered locals and who come to more than one show a year. Last year I saw six shows there, and this year I was slated just to see one. However, that one turned into two when they canceled the original production I had purchased, Josiah for President, due to the COVID-19 virus, and instead offered me two different tickets for two different new shows instead. The Goot Life, to my amazement, and prior to the opportunity to record my review of a land that I love, shared many of the same qualities as land that I love. And so I decided that a little compare and contrast was in order. The Goot Life features two characters rather than the seven or eight in Land That I Love. The Goot Life's two characters, an Amish couple, answers through a combination of song and bad jokes, many of which are actually funny, the most commonly asked questions by the English, non-Amish, about the Amish. As stated earlier, this could have been done through a question and answer session, which actually was planned on the Blue Gate's original summer schedule, featuring small group exclusive tours to Amish farms and interaction with an Amish family. However, that was canceled due to the COVID-19 outbreak. And while an attempt to make fun facts entertaining is always welcome, it's just not meaty enough to sustain a prolonged performance. Like Land That I Love, The Goot Life runs just slightly over an hour with no intermission. Just long enough that, like my experience with Land That I Love, I had begun checking my watch just before I realized that the show was winding down. Like Land That I Love, I did not hate The Goot Life, and actually I found it quite entertaining. More so, really, than The Land That I Love. The couple had a definite personality, and the show, it seemed, had spent more time in development than Land That I Love. It included a complete score, with the exception of one hymn. It only offered two or three more songs at six or seven than Land That I Love's five. Unfortunately, they did not offer a paper or online program, and so the finer details of the production were not available for my review or commentary. The performances of both Goot Life characters, actors Kevin M. McDonnell and Nicole Lees, both regulars at the Blue Gate, were solid and occasionally tugged at a few heartstrings, but telling stories and answering questions is is not particularly a storyline. Both shows included a considerable amount of audience participation, which was not particularly meaningful other than keeping people awake, and which broke the generally hidden window behind the fourth wall. On the whole, the songs from both shows were surprisingly well written. Christy Stutzman penned the original songs from Land That I Love, and they are, in my opinion, the highlight of that show. The book, however, that surrounds them is lacking in both the art of storytelling and an actual storyline. The story is basically, let's get together in the barn and tell stories about interesting people or things in Indiana's history. Principally Johnny Appleseed, Abe Lincoln, and the Indy 500. The facts projected on the screen prior to curtain encapsulate most of the stories told in the context of the play itself. There is a side love story and a guy, Oscar, from the region, the area near Chicago, which, according to the book, doesn't act like they belong to the rest of the state. There are a few bad jokes that actually are sort of funny, and a lot of bad jokes that 
aren't. <laughs> but mostly there is a lot of static bodies on the stage that do little but watch the two central characters who are the focus of that particular song or specific action. Static is the only word that really comes to mind. I was just not on the edge of my seat waiting for the next bit. I was instead thinking, hmm, uh, that was nice, but um, hmm. One of the particularly touching scenes, however, was Emma Grace's delivery of My Mother's Quilt, which displayed perhaps the most energy exerted by actors on the stage, other than perhaps the audience participation portion when Molly Hill taught the audience how to make rain in a barn, which came during the Let's Race story told by JT, Alex Price, and Noah Finnegan Elliott. Also notable was the greatest festival of all, Oscar, Cameron Clark Ponce. The Goot Life, however, was in many ways just the opposite of Land That I Love. Its book overshadowed its songs, but not by as big a margin. The songs in both shows were good, but they were not motivated by the storyline as one would expect in a musical. In fact, it's been said that a character sings in a musical when he can't express himself in any other way. I just did not get that sense from the characters in either show, though more so in The Goot Life. And honestly, the songs were to some degree more of an interruption or rather a redirection of my energy from the story rather than a higher level of expression. McDonald and Lees, however, both gave great performances and both have very fine voices. The story of the Goot Life is an invitation from an Amish bishop and his wife to come into their home for an evening of Q&A. Simon, McDonald, the bishop, is a cut-up who likes to tell jokes, and everything reminds him of a story. Unfortunately, I can't speak to the technical staff's efforts by name, since there was no program. But both the sound quality and lighting were effective and well-produced. Direction was effective, meaningful, and motivated. Since I saw the show on the first day of performance, a few stumbles over the dialogue were understandable and not readily apparent. Both actors exhibited a well-trained ability to cover their tracks well. With Land That I Love, Bethany Crawford's direction lacked the same spark as her book. It just wasn't captivating. Now let me repeat in fairness that the eight people that I surveyed on the way out of the theater, roughly 20% of the 40 plus or minus people that were in the audience, said they enjoyed the show. There were some fun participatory elements and the blending of God Bless America with the Land That I Love theme song as a final patriotic number largely saved the day. After all, that is what people walked out to. But from a theatrically critical perspective, there just wasn't enough story substance to carry the day. Molly Hill's choreography was woefully lacking and extremely dated. But I guess there isn't a whole lot you can do with Old MacDonald Had a Farm. Choreography in The Goot Life was non-obtrusive and minimal, but the story really didn't require it. On the outstanding side were Alex Price's set design, which far exceeds anything to grace the round barn under the previous administration. Despite the noted issues I had with the projection screen, Tim Parsons' projections and sound engineering were mega-leaps forward for the barns. As for The Goot Life, scenery was minimal but effective, and there's not a whole lot you can do with no backstage. It'll be interesting to see if the Barnes can sustain their two-production-a-day schedule through the end of its August 9th run. There were 76 people in attendance at the Bluegate Theater the night I saw the show, and comments I heard coming out of the theater were very positive. Though again, there was not a thunderous ovation at Curtain, and the responses to the jokes and other comical elements were generally reserved during the performance. Though I did enjoy myself much more at the Goot Life than I did in the Mario Land of I mean, Land That I Love. With Land That I Love, the general failure of the cast to connect on any kinetic level with the audience was striking, and even though some sat 
satisfaction was manifest by the audience members that I surveyed. Again, there was no spontaneous or even, for that part, enthusiastic outbursts of applause or outbursts of laughter during the show. To me, the $49 price point was prohibitive, and I had decided not to see the show until the Barnes offered a season package of $90 bucks for the three-show season, about $30 bucks a show, a substantial discount from $49, but still a bit high. No senior pricing is offered, however, students and children are reduced to $19 a seat, and seats are consistently priced no matter where they are in the theater. If you choose to see the show, you're better off buying the season pass as it's considerably cheaper. It will be interesting to see how this cast handles a known work such as its next production of Into the Woods. While I'm not a big fan of that show either, and I believe that it has been produced too many times in the last few years in this area, I am glad to see that the Barnes is not intent upon producing only self-developed content. While there is a market for the content they have produced, it is unfortunately on the lower rung of theatrical magic. Original productions are not easily mounted, and to be effective, they generally need to go through multiple months of development. Unfortunately, it does not appear that the Barnes went through that process with Land That I Love. The unfortunate thing is that Miss Stutzman's songs are quite good, and in taking some time to develop a better storyline and write some additional original music, the show could be compelling. In its present form, it left me wanting. Bluegate Scoop Life runs through September 5th, although I anticipate both it and Land will become staples at their respective theaters. Scoot Life's $25 price point, 28 with tax, is acceptable, though I wouldn't pay much more for it than that. And now for the virtual freebies and low-cost events I promised to give you. The first year I purchased the Broadway and Chicago series, as I mentioned in Episode 1, I got five plays, including Hamilton, for $130. This was primarily through hottix.org. That's H-O-T-T-I-X.org, not .com. If you type in .com, you will get someone trying to sell you that domain. Many different shows can be purchased at a discount on that site, although mostly for theatrical shows and mostly in larger markets. If you're an actor or industry professional, you can also often attend industry nights and get in on discounts. Preview nights also offer discounted opportunities to see some great shows on a budget. I recently purchased the 2021 season for the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago with preview night tickets for about half of what I would have paid for those shows or individual tickets on their regular run nights. Steppenwolf has always been on the cutting edge of great theater covering socially relevant topics that you will not see on the Broadway stage or in most touring situations. I decided this year to go with smaller productions in the Chicago market rather than the Broadway series that I had been enjoying for the last several years. The Jackalobe Theater in Chicago, in addition to Steppenwolf, is a great place to find outstanding cutting-edge theater. Equally stunning, and for more Broadway-style events, is the Paramount Theater in Aurora, Illinois. They always do fine work, and I was very sorry to see that their 2020 season was pushed back to 2021. Just prior to the COVID outbreak, the Windy City Playhouse in Chicago began a run of Boys in the Band that's worth your time to see. They offer a very intimate theatrical experience, and hopefully they'll bring it back soon. But I promised you some virtual entertainment as well. South Bend Civic Theater had, after its initial cancellation, moved its production of Jane Austen's Emma to the Howard Park. Unfortunately, that too was canceled due to an increasing outbreak of the virus. But in its innovative fashion, South Bend Civic Theater offered for a limited time their production through an online tape viewing experience. 
check out their website to see if it's still available. One of my favorite Midwest events, the Dublin, Ohio Irish Fest, initially canceled due to COVID. Organizers are providing, however, a weekend of festival entertainment to include Irish music in all forms, storytellers, children's events, and Irish dancers July 31st through August 2nd online. And I believe the event is free. Sweetwater Sound in Fort Wayne also offered this year's Gear Fest event online. GearFest is an opportunity for those interested in music and music production to hear from industry working professionals. There's no finer place to get this information. Pre-recorded presentations are still available online at Sweetwater.com. Search for GearFest 2020. For those interested in professional acting and film production, there are a ton of free offerings online. Screenwriting guru Chris Soth, whose book The Million Dollar Screenplay gives a unique and success-driven look at screenwriting, has been doing free online analysis of successful movies. One of my favorite acting coaches and casting directors, Bonnie Gillespie, offered an entire week of free actor training and continues to offer online events and emails that will help you understand the success principles governing the business of acting. Amy Berman is also a good source for online actor training. The Atlanta Workshop Players continues to offer free online training and Sundance Collabs has opened its entire catalog of masterclass Classes to the public during the COVID shutdown. If you're a member of SAG-AFTRA, the foundation is a great source for training, including helping actors to learn the growing craft of voiceovers. There are many other offerings, including online organ concerts from the Lunar Theater in Elkhart, and I promise to share more in future episodes. But there's one more parting offering that I highly recommend. The replays of the Radio Hour musicals, presented by another fine Chicago theater, Porchlight. These are replays of actual 1940s and 1950s radio broadcasts and are available on YouTube. A new musical premieres every Tuesday. Check out the Porchlight's website or search on YouTube for their channel. The first two offerings, Anything Goes and Brigadoon, are still available on the channel. Runtime for the shows are approximately 45 minutes. A great nostalgic trip into our theatrical past. I'll share more in future episodes of this podcast. If you have specific questions about area entertainment, or if you're a venue owner and would like me to review a specific show, you can contact me, Michael L. Harris, by email at sastunemedia at gmail.com. That's S-A-S-T-U-N media, all one word, at gmail.com. To help offset the costs of production, we gladly accept tips and donations. Check out the information in the description for further details. Michael L. Harris is a proud member of SAG-AFTRA, and this podcast is produced under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. The opinions expressed herein are just that, opinions, and they are the opinions of Michael L. Harris at the time of production, not definitive and not intended to offend or demean any person, production, or venue mentioned herein, and are subject to change. Original music for this production was written and performed by Mark McPeak. This program and all of its elements are the property of Sastoon Media and MLH Media, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.